oh, we've got slides and we've got a new clicker. And on the new clicker, there is a laser pointer. But it has been disabled, so I can't smite anybody with it. Dave's thankful for that, if no one else is. <laughs> so I want you to have a think this morning. It came up in the song. I don't know if you can imagine the world as it should be. Can you imagine that? Yeah. So for me, maybe it's easiest to find when it isn't as it should be. And you've got children. I've got four children. There would be times where they'd be fighting. Someone would be ill. I was supposed to be there, but in fact, I was here. There's not enough money. Things are really bad. And then there comes a moment where they're not fighting and you don't actually have to be anywhere in that moment. And you've got a sip of a cup of tea and you've got a sense of, ah, it's as it should be. Or maybe you've got a happy place that you go to in your mind where you kind of, you've escaped it all and you're not thinking about it. For me, on a hillside a couple of weeks ago near Cheltenham, Dave and I were walking the Cotswolds Way and we came out and the sun was out and for a brief glimpse, the world was as it should be. And I think that's an echo, an echo of the world as it should be. There's an spiritual echo there. And can't see the slides, I might have to turn around a bit. Uh, in the beginning, when the world was new, when God made the world, he looked at it and he said it was good. It was as it should be. The plants and food was growing. The people were getting on well with each other. God was walking with people. It was exactly as it should be. And that in the Bible is represented by the number seven. On the seventh day, it was as it should be. And the seventh day was supposed to carry on forever as it should be. Humans walking with God. No conflict. Food growing in the ground. As it should be. But you know, a mess. There was a mess. Humans got involved. It was a terrible mess. Things were not as they should be. Wars, fights, conflicts, mess. And we, there's a, lots of books written in that time, that time between when the earth was new and as it should be, and then God reminding people, number seven is still there, on the seventh day, remember, it's meant to be as it should be. Remember, festivals, jubilee, as it should be. Trying, God trying to mind, remind people that there is something more than the way that it is. And at the moment, we're looking at the book of John. And John, a friend of Jesus, um, he, he'd spent a lot of time with Jesus and he starts the beginning of his book by saying, in the beginning, in the beginning, it was as it should be. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was Jesus. And John does lots of things in sevens. And he's saying throughout the book, remember as it should be. Remember, it's not supposed to be like this. There are seven signs there are seven I am's. There are seven long conversations. And we're going to look at one of those conversations today. The first conversation that John talks about is with a very respectable man, Nicodemus, who comes to Jesus at night because he doesn't want people to see him coming to Jesus. He's really respectable. And Jesus teaches him something about himself. But the second conversation is almost the opposite. It's not at night. It's at noon. And Jesus is going from one place to another, and he takes a shortcut through uh, Samaria, which is a land where kind of the enemy territory. He goes through the enemy territory, and John tells us he's tired, and he um, sits down at the well while the disciples go off to get food. Oh, I'm in Luke 4. It's good when you put your glasses on. Hang on, John 4. Um, 
So he came to a town in Samaria and he sat down tired as he was from the journey and it was about noon. And I couldn't find a good picture of the woman, but uh, the woman is coming at noon to get water. And that's a really weird thing. She's on her own. That's weird. It's the middle of the day. Women normally got water at the morning or the evening. It's a really strange thing. This woman is going on her own to get water. And as she comes to that well, she sees a man on the well. She's vulnerable. She's alone. And there's a man sitting on her well where she needs to get water. But as she gets closer, she sees, oh, it's a Jewish man. Jews hate Samaritans, so she ought to be safe because he's not going to go anywhere near her. He's going to clear right right out of the way so she can get her water. So she goes up to the well, and lo and behold, the man says, please, can you give me a drink? The woman was surprised because Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, "Uh, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? She's like going, wake up. Hello, don't you, you know, is this man unhinged? Has he, it, what's going on? Has the son got to him? And I think we miss the scandal of what Jesus is doing here. Firstly, she's a woman. He shouldn't actually have made eye contact with her in that culture. Never mind speaking to her. She's alone. It's the equivalent of being caught in the cupboard with somebody. She's alone and he's talking to her. She's the wrong ethnic group. Jews hated Samaritans. It tells us that there. And the fourth scandalous thing is that Jesus asks her for help. He makes himself vulnerable. And you know what? Jesus doesn't care. He doesn't care that he's been caught in the cupboard with somebody, equivalently in the kind of time. He doesn't care that he shouldn't speak to her or look at her. He doesn't care that she's the wrong ethnic group. He is willing to disgrace himself for her. Why? She says to him, Why do you ask me for a drink? And Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you'd have asked him and he would have given you living water. She says, sir, I'm not being funny, but you haven't got a rope. You haven't got a bucket. Where are you going to get your living water from? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob? Our ancestor Jacob. She's making an ethnic dig here. He's Jewish, he's Samaritan. Jacob's their common ancestor. Our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well. I love this woman. She's not afraid to challenge Jesus. She's not afraid of it at all. She's like, you've you've completely got the plot wrong here. You're not supposed to speak to me. You haven't noticed you haven't got a rope or a bucket. And if you did have a, if I, if you use my bucket, that will make you unclean. She's making a dig at the racism from his people to hers. And Jesus, he doesn't let that bother him either. He doesn't tell her off or say, don't you challenge me, missus. Do you know who I am? He says, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It will become a bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Now, she's got two options here. One is to write him off as bonkers. Or secondly, to think he has got something. Maybe he's got magic water. I could do with this magic water because I'm coming backwards and forwards to this well. I've come here my whole life. If someone knocks the pot over, it's me that has to go and get it. It's worth a try. I can ask him for the magic water. I'm sick of coming here. Everyone despises me. I'm the one who has to go. Everyone despises me. If this man knows who I am, he'll despise me. I'll never get the magic water. Hang on. Let's just go for it. 
She says, please, sir, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get the water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus says, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you're not even married to the man you're living with now. You speak the truth. The woman is scuppered. At the fair yesterday, after the fair, I uh, was waiting in the car park with the stage and um, I got a message from somebody to say she was on the way to the fair, uh, but of course it had finished. And it, she had come to the very first fair that we did, which was about 13 years ago. And uh, we got the timing slightly wrong. We told everyone to arrive early. We had a complicated registration process. And the queue went right out of the car park. And the queue went all the way to Matt there on the front row, who had to register everybody by hand, one by one. And the queue was agitated. And this woman came to the front of the queue. And she uh, pushed in. And she was smelling of alcohol. And the kids were kicking off. And we had this choice of, like, what should we do? And the queue was going, what's she doing? How dare she? And mostly to avoid a fight, somebody sort of scooped her up and took her around the fair and registered her and kind of helped her get access to the things that she didn't actually deserve because maybe she should have been at the back of the queue. And she carried on coming to church. And I heard something of her story about how when she was 14 um, or 13 or 14, an older man had befriended her and taken to the pub and she'd become an alcoholic. And um, she'd been had a few men in her life. She'd been beaten up. She'd had to sleep in the car with her children so the man wouldn't know where she was. And she had had this life, but actually she had met Jesus. Jesus had met with her. And it was so lovely to see her again all those years after the fair and to pray with her again. And you know, much about her circumstances didn't change, but she had met Jesus and he knew who she was. So what about this woman at the well? Do you know, I've got quite angry doing this talk because most of the commentaries blame the woman. They treat her like some sort of Hollywood model. She had a first husband, but then she thought, I don't like him. I'll get a nip and a tuck. I'll get a younger model. I'll get my teeth done. Oh, no, sack him off. No, I'll get a third one. Are we having a joke? This is the first century. Women had no agency. She may have been 14 when she was married to the first man. Maybe he died. If your man died, then make, you know someone in the family would have to marry you, a brother. Maybe that brother didn't really want her. Maybe he thought, well... I can divorce her quite easily if she burns the dinner. You could say I divorce her. She couldn't divorce him. Women couldn't divorce husbands. Why do the commentaries call this woman an immoral woman? Jesus didn't see her that way. It's quite annoying. <laughs> she's passed along by man to man until the last man doesn't even think she's worthy of marriage. She's good enough to go and get the water in the middle of the day, though. Jesus deliberately meets her. It's no accident, I don't think, that he was sitting on that well waiting for that woman on that day. He knows what a crap life she's had. She's been treated badly. And he makes himself vulnerable by asking her for a drink. And I don't think he's changing the subject when he asks where her, is her husband on that day. I think he's naming that thing that is on her mind all the time. I don't have a husband. I've been cast off by everybody. I don't have a husband. He won't give me this living water if he knows who I am. So Jesus names that for her because that's what she needs. She, well, do you, what does the woman do? She thinks, I think she thinks, well, I might be a complete reject. He's named the fact that I haven't got five husbands, but I am quite clever. I'm going to ask him a theological question. 
So, you must be a prophet. Why is it you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while the Samaritans claim it's here where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when you, it will no longer matter where you worship. You Samaritans know very little about the, the one that you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes from the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it is now here when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father's looking for those who will worship him in that way. I think she hears here, the Father is looking for you. For God is spirit. For those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman says, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. There's a longing there. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. The woman arrives in a box, metaphorically speaking, obviously. But she comes in this box of what other people think of her, of the names they've put on her. And in fact, she's a rejected, in a rejected box. Rubbish wife, maybe cursed because all these men have died. Rejected, rude, possibly a bit outspoken. And Jesus tells her the father is looking for true worshippers. He's releasing her from that box of what everyone else thinks and just saying, are you a true worshipper? Are you seeking to worship in in truth? And do you know what she does? Well, tell you what, before she does, the disciples come back and they're really shocked because they're effectively finding Jesus in a cupboard with a woman, a Samaritan woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? So she had a lot more nerve than they did because she wasn't afraid to say, what are you talking to me for? But the disciples, they didn't ask. The woman left the water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him she abandons that water jar she runs to the town and she no longer cares about the blimmin box it doesn't matter what they think of her it doesn't matter what she's done she's free of the box and she's met somebody and it's exciting and everything in that moment is as it should be she knows who Jesus says she is she takes the living water back to the village and then Jesus stays there two days She's the first person that Jesus tells he's the Messiah. It's one of the longest conversations recorded with Jesus. He's taken her from this place of just being in this box of desperation to saying, you are worthy of honour. I see you. A couple of weeks ago, um, I saw on Facebook there was a school reunion. And um, for some slightly bizarre reason, I thought... I'm going to go. So I clicked go on Facebook. I kind of realized that nobody else I knew or I'd kept in touch with since 18 was going. I want you just to imagine that for the moment. You're going back to a school reunion from like primary school or early on. I don't know how that makes you feel. It was a really weird feeling for me um, because what box was I in? I I suddenly saw people clicking to say they were going and I remember and I saw one woman going and all I could remember about her was that I had a fight with her in a science classroom and in my flailing I'd knocked a button off her blouse and I'd been terrified and she might be still angry and and Alan, what would it be? And I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to go, I'm just going to go. And, uh, and then you're thinking about what about the behaviour at parties and all of this stuff. But I just thought, you know, uh, um, 
I kind of just had this thing of saying, well, who, who am I? Am I still living in the shadow of this stuff? Or am I just going to go and be, be who I am, who, who Jesus says I am? Um, and I don't know whether you this morning have found yourself stuck in a bit of a box. Whether it's disapproval, like this woman, whether it's actually a box of respectability, like Nicodemus before, who didn't seem to immediately get free from his box. He came at night. There's no record of him telling anybody particularly about Jesus. But the woman, she was set free. And our boxes, they can be so, so many put upon us. And I think more upon women than men still, if I'm honest. Too emotional, too cold, too fat, too thin, too rough, too posh. And I think for all of us this morning, male or female, where you find yourself, know this morning that Jesus deliberately sees you. Deliberately. He waits for you. He sees you. It's no accident. He wants to release you from the box. He wants to say, to name who you are. You're not defined by your past or the things you've done or how other people have treated you. The second thing I think we need to think about is, who is this Jesus? Who is it? She's just met this man, but she's been met by him in her heart. Who is he? Who is it that promises springs of living water? As it says, those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving eternal life. And I think it harks back to a time and a place where things aren't as they should be. Things are broken in Jeremiah. God describes himself as the spring of living water. God says, my people have forsaken me, the spring of living water. And Jesus is offering that once again, offering as it should be a spring of living water, making the earth as it should be once again. Jesus was there at the beginning of creation. And he, John is pointing us to the fact that Jesus continues to bring that new kingdom, that as it should be us to our heart. And I suppose today, life as we know, it isn't as it should be. We look around us, we're thinking about Ukraine today and war and conflict. Things aren't as they should be. Jesus has broken through and changed some lives, but the, the, the world is still not where it was. It is not all calm and harmony, as we all know. Oh, there's a balloon to illustrate the point. Oh dear, it's not as it should be for poor Isla. <laughs> oh. But, spoiler alert, John wrote a second book. And his second book is at the end, Revelation, right at the end of the Bible. It tells us that the world will be as it should be once again. And it says, the spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Today, this morning, we have that opportunity once again, to, if we're thirsty, to come and to meet with Jesus. To take an opportunity to allow him to meet with us where we are. To break down the kind of boxes and things that have been put upon us that don't belong to us. And to meet with him. So I think we could take a bit of time now and as the worship band come back, uh, I'll just pray for us uh, as we go um, to spend some time with God and reflecting on who he says that I act, we are and us meeting him for who he is. Father God, I thank you that you did not leave us in that 
quagmire of mess. You haven't left us abandoned. You haven't left us stuck in our boxes. You long this morning to meet with us, to tell us that you see us. You see the labels that have been put on upon us. You see the crap that's got stuck to us. And you want to call us out of it to be the people that you've made us to be, to dance the way you've made us to dance, to set us free from the words that are put upon us. Jesus, we come to you. We're thirsty for you. We're thirsty for your water of life. Holy Spirit, would you meet us this morning? Change our hearts. Transform us. Amen.